Story Search is a podcast series from the Free Library of Philadelphia Rare Books Department that explores stories connected to material artifacts. The topics discussed and views expressed do not necessarily represent the views of the Free Library of Philadelphia or its staff. All right, welcome everyone to the 10th episode of The Story Search, a podcast hosted by me, Andrea Lemoines, and Joe Shimtov. The show explores stories connected to artifacts, and season one focuses on artifacts specifically at the Free Library of Philadelphia. Thanks, Andrea. Of course. MOVE is a Black revolutionary uh, and liberation organization that was formed in Philadelphia in 1972. It advocates for life, that all living things, things that move, are equally important. Uh, That's a quote from uh, the founder, John Africa. On May 13th, 1985, the city of Philadelphia, under Mayor Wilson Good, ordered uh, the Philadelphia police to drop two bombs onto the roof of the homes of MOVE members primarily a townhouse located on 6221 Osage Avenue. The bombing killed six MOVE members and five of them uh, and five of their children. The resulting fire uh, was left to burn by the fire department by order of the police, destroying 65 houses in the Cobbs Creek neighborhood of West Philly. The ramifications of this bombing are still affecting MOVE and our city today. Recently, it became public that the University of Pennsylvania and Princeton once had ownership of the remains of two MOVE children who died in the fire. The remains were identified as belonging to 14-year-old Tree Africa and her sister, 12-year-old Delisha Africa. In response to the horrible mishandling of the remains, Philadelphia's city health commissioner, Dr. Thomas Farley resigned from his position. He resigned on May 13th, the 36th anniversary of the bombing. Thanks for sharing all that background, Joe. Um, I just really want to make sure that people listening and people know that the Free Library of Philadelphia has an extensive collection of materials and government documents on the move bombing. The Social Science and History Department and Government Publications Department have reference materials among their collections that will support researchers, community members, anyone interested in studying MOVE and understanding what happened. The Social Science and History Department's files contain lots of local newspaper and magazine clippings dating from 1978 to 1985. As part of the Philadelphia City Government Depository Collection, the government publications maintains publications related to the 1985 Philadelphia Special Investigation Commission. Um, This file from the commission is very important to kind of get an overview of how the city handled the ramifications of the move bombing from 1985 to 1986. So it really contains um, associated documents, transcripts of public hearings, and of course, the 1986 final report. Um, Access to these reference materials is currently available by appointment only. As y'all know, we're still living in the pandemic. Um, Community members and researchers can contact the Social Science and History Department or the Government Publications Department by phone or email to schedule. Um, So you can call 215-686-5396, or you can email the departments at eref 
gpd at freelibrary.org. Again, it's like EREF, um, Government Publications Department at freelibrary.org. Um, so, you know, community members, please feel free to visit the library, learn more about what happened um, to MOVE members and what happened to the city during the MOVE bombing. And also the story cannot be told without actually talking to people who um, are impacted or there. So I just want to welcome two um, MOVE members with us today. Please join me in welcoming Janine Africa and Sue Africa. Thank you both for coming to speak with us today. On the MOVE. On the MOVE. There we um, go. Yes, on a move. We we just had a couple of corrections to make. Um, one Thank is, you. Thank you. <laughs> one is um, there were 11 people murdered May 13, 1985. There were six children and five adults. Uh, people, oh, got that. Yes, Thank you. Yes. Um, also, we are not a black organization. We have been put out that way. And it's mm. not that it's just that we want people to understand because I'm white. And so I want people to understand that this is the organization of life. And the reason we don't have a lot of white people in this organization is because this system has always targeted any, we had quite a few white members in the old days some of them were turned, you know, and became uh, police informants. Some of them were brutalized and put in jail and, you know, raped and suffered some extreme persecution. And, you know, myself, <laughs> I was privileged to come in very early in the organization and actually live in a house with John Africa. And John Africa is, is married to one woman. It wasn't that kind of relationship. And I'm always very protective because that we've been called a commune at times and we were not a commune. We believed in marriage. The coordinator taught us marriage and the coordinator was extremely loyal and protective of his wife. And that's one of the things that held me in the organization so many years because I didn't see this kind of example from my father or from men that I was involved in. And it really impressed me that a man with so much life and I guess you could use the word charm and gregarious and wisdom and righteousness would also be like that because a lot of men that are seen as leaders out there in the system, you know, are not like that. And it's been tooted that that's the thing not to be like that. So I really appreciated mm -hmm. that. And I benefited from it, but they did put me in a mental institute and tried to use that. I was in on trial and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because we have a lot to cover here. But they had me um, they had me committed during a trial because I insisted on representing myself. And the judge was trying, he said, to protect me because they knew a confrontation was coming and they put me in, you know, Byberry. Uh, mental Institute. And this is how I met Mumia Abu-Jamal, because he's the one that got me out of there, because he came in there and bought a recording, a tape recorder, and recorded all the abuses that I had researched and found, because we were all taught by John Africa, whenever we were in prisons or any type of institutions, to always document any type of abuses 
and expose them, which is what we did. And I had many, 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 many. And he snuck a uh, tape recorder in there. He was a very renowned um, uh, radio personality writer at the time. This is way before his arrest. And he actually put all this on the air. And when I went down for my 30-day review, the judge wanted me to get another 30 days. And Dr. Solomon, who was the head of Viber, said, oh, no, 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 because it played on the radio and it was they were exposed terribly and they wanted me out of there. And all that is thanks to Mumia Abu-Jamal, which is another reason that people don't really hear how Mumia has always been there for us and why we fight so hard to get his release, because he is innocent and he's in prison for just this reason, because he's a freedom fighter and he worked diligently to free people from any oppressive situation. Thank you so much, Sue. Thank you for those corrections. And thank you for, um, again, I think this is why it's so important to do interviews and really talk to those affected because there are different misconceptions that can come out in the right. press. And even when you know community members do the research at the library, it's so good to have like a balance to hear from both sides and actually understand mm-hmm. um, what is really happening. So thank you so much for that, Sue. So I really want to start off the conversation with um, asking you both, can you tell us more? So again, to what Sue was saying, so we understand what MOVE is as an organization. Can you tell us about your work? The work of MOVE is using the teaching of giant Africa to defend life. And that's why it's so important for people to know that we're not a black organization because giant Africa does not advocate racism, prejudice on any level. John Africa teach all life is equal and important. And that's the work of MOVE. We demonstrated against the Puppy Palace, the zoo, the Barnum and Bailey circuses. We protested against Three Mile Island, the old old folks' homes. We worked with the gangs in that area to take, you know, stop all that shooting and fighting and killing each other. We worked to feed the children in that area because their parents were either poor or uh, substance abusers and they wouldn't have food. So on the way to school, we moved people would make sure they had fruit and things like that to take to school with them. And on their way home, we always made sure they had a bag of black potatoes, rice staples. We wouldn't give them money because, you know, John Africa felt like their parents would take the money, but we made sure they had food. So in so many words, because of John Africa Move was the first animal activist, the first food bank, the first people to actually speak out against police brutality. We demonstrated against police precincts daily. And the reason why we started getting arrested was because Move started exposing those politicians. And we would demonstrate in front of their offices. So the politicians put the police in between us and them with orders to stop us by any means necessary. And that's where the beating started, because we had a right to protest, to demonstrate. But because the politicians wanted to shut us up, they ordered the police to just attack us. So we were attacked at all of our demonstrations, beaten, arrested, had our pregnant women would get 
beating their stomachs, kicked in their vaginas until they miscarried. We had pregnant our pregnant sister Rhonda. She was eight months pregnant. She was slammed belly first into the tables in a holding cell at City Hall till her baby was born a few days later with black and blue bruises and died from the injuries. My baby was killed three weeks old when we were welcoming our family home from prison. And the police came up and said they had a call about a disturbance. And, you know, our brothers were saying there's no disturbance. It's just move people, welcoming our family home. But of course, they were out there to start trouble and they wouldn't listen because they, their whole point was to come out there and hurt move people. And before we knew it, they came about five or six police cars with no lights pulled up around our house, surrounding our family and us, came out swinging blackjacks. And I was holding my three-week-old baby, Life Africa, and I was standing in front of my husband, Phil Africa. And to get to him, they slammed me on the ground and crushing the baby's head and stopped on me to get to my husband. And people said that the baby didn't exist. The neighbors came out and said the baby did exist. And when they couldn't get around that, they tried to say, well, maybe the baby was unhealthy. So my family brought out clergymen, reporters, councilmen, and had them come to the house and view the body of the baby. And then, you know, of course, when they couldn't deny it, there was nothing done about it. Which is why we have no faith in any investigations. I mean, listening to your stories and I'm thinking about how the horrific experiences of MOVE members, including the bombing, have really affected this city. What do you think it is that holds your group together in light of these horrific circumstances, horrific actions that have been taken against MOVE members? Like what, what has helped your organization survive for all these years? We have such a strong belief You have no idea, or maybe you do, because you see the results of it. You just can't really understand or explain it. The teaching of John Africa and just knowing John Africa and being exposed to that kind of understanding and love, you know, personally speaking, each one of us can go down the line from people that were drug addicts, gang members, uh, myself, a manic depressant that came into this organization, diagnosed with every ailment under the sun, you know, lived in hospitals from the time I was six years old, getting cystoscopes for kidney problems. And I can just go on and on and on to when I was the first woman to deliver my child naturally. And I gave birth to my child Myself, aided only by the principle of motherhood taught to me by John Africa. And I was running five miles every day on the Drexel uh, Recreation Lawn, which is now a parking lot, barefoot, in a dress, eating the way John Africa taught me to eat. I had no labor. I was in labor maybe a half hour. After I had the baby, John Africa coordinated the news media to come out and document this and had me do 50 sit-ups. One hour and a half after I delivered my son, when we were in Muncie prison, we were running 32 miles on Friday, Saturday and Sunday when we had a lot of yard time. 
we were on six hunger strikes up there protesting the kind of mistreatment that they gave the women prisoners up there. The kind of strength, physical and mental strength that we were given by the teachings of John Africa and everybody has a story and move of the kind of health and strength and understanding and peace of mind that we got from being around John Africa and learning and understanding and applying the teachings of John Africa. And that is what has sustained us through all of the horrific things that have happened to us throughout being in MOVE. Because, I mean, there's just no substitute for having that kind of health. You know, that's why there's so many doctors and so many ailments, more ailments today than there ever was, more sicknesses, more problems. And MOVE has been like so protected because of our teachings and understanding of MOVE belief. And that's the main thing that keeps us going, our faith, our belief in mama in John Africa. MOVE again is being traumatized, right? Mm-hmm. With the remains being held um, mm-hmm. in the universities, issues with the city, how are move members coping now? And also, how can community support through this new wave of trauma? Well, the thing is, is that like Sue was telling you, because of our belief in John Africa, the strength that we have, that teaching, that strength carried us through forty-one years of prison. Because prison is bad enough, but when you're in prison and know that you're innocent, that could kill you, tear you down. But we came through there strongly because of John Africa's teaching. And it's the same teaching that carried us through everything because the worst thing that they could do happened May 13th, 1985. They can't do no worse to us. And the belief we have in John Africa, the Love we have for John Africa is what carried us through that. The family, because this is why the system even say they can't stop us. Because John Africa has always taught us that when you have family, you have all you need to fight. And that's what we got. We are a family Mm. and the unity. And so this is holding us and carrying us through all of this. Don't get me wrong. This is hurting our hearts. Because it's making us have to relive relive it all over again. Because all of the, you know, we we have to deal with stuff and think about stuff that we have not had to deal with for 36 years. Not that we ever forgot it. We didn't. But as far as community support, this is something that is so encouraging to us and really helps us. I mean, I was telling you on the way over here, people just stop us, you know, People walk by our property, move, we love you mm-hmm. on Mother's Day. Women that we didn't even recognize, white women in expensive cars, stopping, jumping out in the street, chasing Janine down, chasing one of us, walking up the street with one of our dogs, handing us these big expensive bouquet of flowers, talking crying. about crying, talking about you've been so much. We're like, oh my God, what is happening here? We, we were the pariahs. Mm-hmm. For years and years and years and everything we told you about what this organization was doing when it was founded and when we first joined, you never read about that in the newspaper. People didn't know about it. We were the people that 
lived with dogs and had our children running around naked and, you know, all kind of crazy stuff that they could portray to people, to have people thinking that we were like the most raunchiest, you know, craziest people existing. Well, all of that has lifted. All of that has lifted. I'm quite sure we still have an abundance of people that hate us, you know, racist people or people that just don't really understand what MOVE is about. But the support is unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. And it makes us feel very, very good because it shows us that if you just hold on and trust and keep your belief in mama, in God, in our teachings in John Africa, that things always work out. And that's like our motto, you know, Mm -hmm. just hold on. You know, good things are coming. Relief is coming. You know, mm-hmm. just do your work and everything will work out. Because what mm-hmm. people are so impressed with, Andre, is that we don't change. We have not let people's trust down. They see us the same for all of these years, through all of the adversity, through everything that this system has thrown at us. Move people have not change. We haven't weakened. We haven't fallen apart. We haven't given up. And that is what really impresses a lot of people because they they just, they, they can't get around it. Even people that don't like us respect us because of that consistent example that they have seen and move people for almost 50 years. Thank you both so much for sharing that. So much has really been happening, not just, of course, with MOVE and you both, but on a national scale of such mm-hmm. racial reckoning mm-hmm. in our country. And I'm sure y'all have heard it too, a lot of conversations about resilience, mm. right? Like how do we survive and live, especially as oppressed people under this constant onslaught of violence and persecution and questioning? And hearing you both say like that's that, you know, your belief system and the teachings of John Africa and having that community is what's really given you the strength, I think very much speaks to what a lot of people are looking for right, right now. Right. We understand mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Well, it is, mm-hmm. it is important and we really encourage it. And because of our situation with uh, the, everybody helping our family to fight to get us released, it has brought people together that may have never worked together. So, The very thing that this system has tried to do to eliminate John Africa, erase John Africa's teaching out of their history has failed because now the teaching of John Africa has reached out all around the world, all across this country. And everybody is saying they're coming together unified to fight. It started out for MOVE, Mumia, but now the whole network is coming together for everything. And so this is the very thing this system wanted to stop and they couldn't because everybody is becoming unified. And that's what's so important. That's more powerful and important than any gun bomb the system has. Thank you, Janine and Sue. I'll repeat it again. Thank you for being with us today. And, uh, you know, I will repeat it just so it's clear um, that in the bombing, uh, 11 people, including five children, that, that was it, right? Yes. Died. And, it, you know, when, when I hear you both, it's such a traumatic event and the events that preceded it, the shootout and that, that years, years of harassment 
But when we, when I hear both of you, you are optimistic people. I mean, how many years in jail were you? Forty uh, years. Janine was forty-one. I wasn't on that incident, but I did twelve years. Janet did twelve years, and and Eddie Africa did forty-one. And um, Delbert did 41. He recently passed because they gave him cancer in prison and deliberately gave him some really bad medicine before he was released and drugged their feet on coming back with the parole board's decision. And I'm not just blowing off hot air here. A very prestigious doctor whose name I will keep quiet. He was a top oncologist at a top cancer hospital out here was horrified and mortified at the kind of things they did to Delbert and the kind of medicine. And at first he was like, why, why did they do this? Why did they give him this? We're like, seriously? Oh, you don't know nothing about prison, do you? I mean, very outspoken about it and very upset. And when he passed much even faster than he thought, because he was very hopeful, he was very upset and crying. And that's why I say I'm just not talking out the side of my face here. You know, the, the prison, Dallas prison did kill Delbert, but they all did Chucky 41 years in prison. Janet, who's not here today, she did 41 years in prison. Debbie did 40 years in prison. Mike did 40 years in prison. So I have a question for Janine and uh, for you, Sue. Do you feel that your story has it been told? And what do you want to share with people? Or is there anything else that you want to add that maybe that you want to clarify? Or Well, well, Rob, up until now, no. The truth about the situation with MOVE and this government has not been told. But as uh, Sue was saying, the tides are turning and people now are coming to us. They with so many ideas about getting the whole story out. So it is going to come out eventually the right way. And so, you know, we're very encouraged by it because this time we don't think that this government will be able to stop people that want to put the truth out like they have done throughout the years before now. So, you know, and we've seen a difference in the reporting just in papers mm-hmm. like the Philadelphia Inquirer, which, which was notorious in printing very, very bad things. And um, the New York Times. New York Times is doing better things. And we're encouraged by that. I just want to share a little short story about a man, and I'm not going to put his name out. He worked for Daily News, and he was a very young man who was very earnest and really tried he came out to our house for like, what, almost a week. And he worked for the Daily News and he came and he filmed. We let him come in the house. We used to have mock trials, how we would go into court and confront the judges with the power of truth taught to us by John Africa. And he filmed us running the dogs and exercising and all kinds of things, putting out move law. And the article never came out. And I'm like, all of us were like, we let him in the house. What happened all this? So a few years ago, well, it was quite maybe, maybe about eight to 10 years ago, I'm in Whole, no, about 10, eight years, I'm in Whole Foods with Ramona Africa. And this man comes up and taps me on the shoulder. 
I said, hello. He said, you don't recognize me, Sue? I'm so-and-so and so. I work for the Daily News. I said, oh, yeah. Why didn't the article come out? You know, this is like 30, year, 30 years earlier. He said, Sue, I lived a block away from your headquarters now. I lived up on Chester Avenue. We didn't have that house at the time. We were in Fountain Village. She said, they broke into my house. They came up on the third floor. They threatened my wife. They threatened my baby and told me they would kill me and my child and my wife if I printed that article. He said, I moved to New York. I've been living in New York all this time. I just wanted to share that with you so you know the depths that these people went to to keep the truth. This was an earnest, honest man that wanted to, wanted to really print something. I see a difference we all do in the news articles now. And that is a lot, not just the consistent example move has set and finally people being moved by it, but what's been happening in this country. They have not been able to stop the onslaught of hate and violence and insanity that the government has unleashed and allowed police. You know, a policeman has a lot on his plate here. He's in a very unnatural situation. And that shit drives them crazy. And they get to the point, even if they weren't racist, which 99% of them are, you know, it would drive you crazy, you know, and they just are on a kill hungry craze and they've been licensed by the courts and they've been getting off scot-free for years and years. Well, that's changing. I still think a lot of them are getting off scot-free and they're being sent to some luxurious college prison uh, out there somewhere and then released and people don't even know about it. I, I don't really believe these people are being punished. I really don't. But the tide is changing somewhat. It's changing somewhat and people are not allowing this. Even young people are just getting so full of fire and confrontation and not accepting this. And they're like going for broke here. So all that has changed things. All that has changed things. So the news media can feel a little bit more comfortable about printing the truth and a little bit more like looking at it like, this is what's up. This is what we have to do here. We have to join the fight too. Thank you, Sue. Janine, have you thought about what justice for the MOVE organization, what would it look like? Well, as we've been saying, we know we're not going to get any justice from this system because the history of MOVE and dealing with these officials have always came out the same. Nothing for us and everything for them. And to this day, no official has been held accountable for any of the beatings, the false arrests, the murders of our children, the murders of our family, of our animals. Nobody has been held accountable. You know, um, every time it looked like something would be done, the judge would step in and release the police, like the police that beat Delbert, before the jury could give a verdict, the uh, judge stepped in and said he'd be the lightning rod and he dismissed the jury and he acquitted all of those cops, even though the whole world saw those cops beat Delbert almost to death. The same with May 13th. They had a commission hearing. They were found guilty of wrongful death and not one person involved in that bombing went to jail. The only person that went to jail was Ramona. 
So we're at this point now. Now here comes the, the issue about the remains that they say of our, of our family. This is why we don't want no investigation. We're not initiating one because we know how their investigations turn out. Everything's covered up and they say we came to this conclusion, it's resolved. And that's why at this point, the only thing that this system, this city government can do for us is to release Mumia Abu-Jamal. You know, they killed my husband, Phil Africa, in prison in 2015. They killed my sister, Merle Africa, in prison in 1998. They killed my brother, Delbert Africa. And might as well say in prison because that's where it started. And he died six months after getting out. And now they're trying to kill Mumia. Because even though he's not on death row, they have not stopped trying to kill him through medical assassination. So we're saying if you want to show us anything, you want to make it appear that you're trying to repair what you've done to this organization for all these years. Mumia is still alive. We want him out. He's innocent. He should have never been put in jail. He was shot down, almost murdered and put in jail because he told the truth about the situation between MOVE and the city of Philadelphia. So we're saying if you want to give us something, give us that. Money is not going to make us feel no justice. An investigation is not going to make us feel no justice. We don't want an apology. Apology means nothing Nothing. to us. We want to see something. And at this point, the only thing they can show us is to release Mumia. We don't want Mumia to die in prison like the rest of our family. And I want to make it clear, Mumia's innocent. We're not just saying this. Our sister Pam Africa, who heads the campaign for Mumia's freedom, has pages of evidence proving that everything they said was a lie. And so it's not just us saying this because Mumia was a a good brother to us. We have the proof to prove that he's innocent. Jameen, thank you so much for talking about what justice could look like in this situation. Because I think so many people in power think that things can just be bought or easily fixed or swept to the side. I don't know how to explain it, but you know, it's just it's nothing really hits yeah. it. Where, yes. And you know what I'm talking about? The you know what I'm yes. talking about? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I yes. think people think that it's, it's just so easy. And like, this is not, no, what you did to us is not easy. Mm-mm. The, how to answer it is not going to be easy, but it's there. there. There, it is there. And I think people in power don't understand that, that they do have a choice to do the right thing. That's always a question I have on my mind when I think of, especially now, you know, we're coming up on so many anniversaries of Black folk who were murdered last summer. Mm. Thinking about what does justice look like? Like those folks are gone. Our ancestors are gone. And what can we do now for the living and how can we live in justice? So that was a really beautiful answer. And thank you for that, Janine. Just going forward, and again, hearing from y'all earlier, it was really beautiful to hear about the resiliency and like what has kept your group together and what keeps you, you know, on the move, what keeps you on the move. Moving forward, where do you see move going? Like, where do you see your group going from here? Well, it's been taken off. (laughs) It it, it hasn't slowed down. (laughs) 
one bit. And now that we're all out of prison and home with our family, the momentum has really picked up. And what's happening is a lot of people are looking to move for the example of how to get what they want, how to put pressure on this system, how to get things right. And they're using John Africa's example that they see in MOVE to do this. So we, a lot of the things we do now is we are work dealing with a lot of different organizations. And before the COVID, we were doing a lot of speaking engagements and they, a lot of people wanted us to come out and talk to their young people. So that's really the organization at this point is really in teaching mode and setting the example. We're, we're an example that's really encouraging and motivating people to see that you can take a stand and win. Thank you. And to that point, too, how can people say so you're working with different organizations and really teaching? How can people get in contact with y'all for more information about that? Well, we have, of course, our contact phone numbers and we have different when they go up on the different websites, there is always something, you know, we have supporters from New York and different places that's always posting things on Facebook. And, you know, and a lot of people just call us or text because we have well email. So the phone number is 610-704-4524. And the email address is Janine Phillips, J-A-N-I-N-E-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S 2019 at gmail.com. And people use that and call. We can always direct them to different things that's going on, you know, because at one point we did have a website, but the government stepped in and out of nowhere disabled the website. So we could no longer post it up. So we have to do it this way. You something, Janine? The other day I was on a website on a move.com. Is that not your site? Um, I think when people still use that and it pulls up a lot of different information. On Is it, it based in New York? I don't know if it's from New York, but I just wanted to make sure if people, because when you Google it, it comes up. And if it's not y'all, then it's not y'all. We'll I just want to be clear yeah, with we'll that, Janine. <laughs> yeah, we'll check. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, thank you both for coming on to our humble podcast. I'm sure that we can talk about, if not for hours, days, right? so many things, so, so many things. And, you know, for me personally, listening to your resilience you know, how uh, forget about the social issues, just the personal, how you can have the fortitude, you know, the strength to come out of this stronger uh, is really amazing. I mean, it's just unique. Anyway, to research information about the, um, the 1985 move bombing at the Free Library, remember, you can contact the Social Science and History Department. We also have the government publications, and you can call them at uh, 215-686-5396. You can make an appointment or you can email them. Uh, I know that Andrea gave you the email, the email, but I'll give it to you again. Uh, E-R-E-F, E-R-E-F, like in Frank, G-P-D, G Patrick D, like in Doris, at freelibrary.org. So thank you all. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much, Benin and Sue. 
This yeah. has been great. And I also want to give a shout out to the King Sessing Library. We're in the basement right now recording. Um, I know it's like your neighborhood library and um, y'all have connections to the staff and the staff here is really community oriented and I love it. And I just want to give a shout out to them. So thanks King Sessing Library. <laughs> Thank you for having Thank us. You for having us and on the move. On the move. On the move. Thank you. Thank you.